Veterans Broadcast Network. This is Roll Call. What role did you play in your call to duty? You're listening to Veterans Roll Call. I'm Kennedy Camp. And I'm Nadine Noki. gets me stretching. It's a good reveille and figuring out what my roll call was back in those days. I'm glad you're all here with us today. Make sure you give uh, have your pencil and paper again ready. Some people have been asking for a couple of those hotline numbers all over, so I'll be bringing those up to you. I'm in the studio tonight by myself. Nadine, I think you're on the phone with me. I am here. I do not hear anything, but I am here. Okay, there you are. <laughs> um, we talked the uh, first show about some of those VSOs, which I just recently learned about, too. Um, I think I'll ask my guests if they uh, had heard, a, heard anything about a VSO before. Um, and then we'll talk about a few of those things and, and how they relate to your transitioning out and how you live your um, veteran civilian life um, after that major transition. You know, it could be extremely difficult, uh, whether any part of the military, naval, air service, whatever, getting out and all of a sudden now figuring out, well, what's my life going to be? Do I take my MOS, that special military operational specialty that I had, my job, and do I turn it into what I'll continue to do? Uh, such as with me, I ended up started as a medic, went into uh, the orthopedic specialty world, got offered a commission, as we were making these orthopedic specialists, the physician's assistance program. And um, I got out and went into uh, helping the American Association of Physicians Assistant organize itself and uh, become accredited back in the 70s. So I took my MOS and actually made it work for so many years. And then gradually I got out of it and uh, went more into some show business and educational levels. And I don't know if Nadine could hear me and She's able to also mention something. Okay. Uh, anyway, um, our guests tonight are going to be um, a very unique man that I've met here in Sarasota, Florida. Actually, uh, both of our guests are from Sarasota tonight. Um, Gene Jones, who uh, was Air Force, uh, a very wonderful character because he's one of the beloved veterans of our community for all that he has done for veterans. And that's what uh, we'll be talking a little bit about, not only uh, what his role was in the service, but how unique his role has become for veterans today. And uh, I think you'll find that an extremely interesting story. And then a little while back, I met a man named Alan Vada, and uh, Alan was at a, a wonderful book signing event that a friend of mine also was attending. And, and I got to talking with him because it turns out he's a Navy man. And he's had this wonderful book that had an exciting cover on it. And it's uh, Real Stories from a Nuclear Submariner. 
So we're going to be up in the air, we're going to be on the ground, and we're going to be underwater all, all night tonight. One of the questions, too, for you veterans getting uh, out uh, or those of you that are already out and still are trying to work with your benefits and claims, uh, try to find out what priority group you're in. I'd like to bring on Gene Jones. He's, I know, a resident of Sarasota. And, uh, Gene, are you there with us now? Mid, you got him on? I certainly am, Kenny. I'm uh, right here. Okay. So tell us about your um, – how did you decide to join the Air Force and when? Well, I was uh, one of those uh, persons that uh, – I was a college student during the uh, Vietnam War, and uh, I was one of those uh, kids that was uh, uh, really unable to pay for my college. And uh, – so I dropped out of college, and what that meant in those days was that you were likely to be drafted. Yep. And uh, so uh, I talked to an Air Force recruiter, and I thought that there were some possibilities in the Air Force. And, Kenny, I must say that it turned out for me to be uh, just a special experience because uh, my entire period uh, spent in the service uh, was gratifying and uh I also uh, was lucky in the sense, uh, this is hard to believe, but in those days, and I assume it may still happen, but uh, at that time, uh, the Air Force, if they needed a skill that you had or thought they could develop, uh, they would send you to college. So uh, when I transitioned out of basic training, uh, I found myself right back in college, Wow. Uh, which uh was really uh one of the best deals that you can imagine uh because I was a young man uh 18 years old and they sent me to Syracuse University a premier university and uh so I was up there for a year and uh, enjoyed that a lot and then uh after a tech school I had really the privilege of serving for a couple of years in Japan and uh that was a uh, terrific experience because, uh, you know, I, I grew up as a Florida boy. I've hardly been out of the state of Florida, so I didn't see uh, a whole lot of the world until I had I got in the Air Force. And the first time I was ever on an airplane was in the Air Force. And uh, so I ended up in Japan, and it just turned out to be a wonderful experience. And uh, so uh, after the Air Force, uh, I actually – uh, because of the college that I was able to pick up that far behind my class. So I graduated from uh, college and uh, then uh, went to law school and came to move to Sarasota, practiced law here in Sarasota for many years and uh, retired in uh, 2000. And uh, I've been uh, working with uh, veterans since, and that's kind of an avocation of mine. Excellent. I spent a lot of hours a week uh, working with my veteran friends and uh doing things for our community. And before we get into the veteran work that you do now, uh, let's go back a little bit. Just And what did your MOS finally become uh, after you got out of the Syracuse University and went to Japan? Uh, they actually put me in intelligence. That's what I thought, and, yeah. Uh, and what yeah. area of Japan were you? I was in uh, northeastern Japan up on north, northern Honshu at an Air Force base called Misawa. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I was at Camp Zama. 
which you well, probably there heard you of, go. You heard of that one, all right? <laughs> Got more in common than you think. Can you? <laughs> exactly. Wow. Okay. So you had intelligence there, and you were there for how two years? You said I was, I was for just about two years. Wow. Excellent. That's a great place to be. During that time, were you able to go ahead? Because the opportunity that the Air Force provided, of course, I had my work, which had to be done, but. being in the Air Force, you had the opportunity to really interact a lot with the Japanese culture and get to know uh, the Japanese people a little bit. And uh, it was just all in all a terrific uh, experience. It really uh, helped mature me in a lot of ways, I think. Mm-hmm. And did you happen to, during those days, um, it became a famous little uh, phrase called R&R. Were you able to take one? Uh I was I was able to uh, take R and R, but we didn't uh, particularly call it that. We would just take our regular leave. I took my leaves in Japan, and uh, that was you know time well spent for sure. Oh, so your R and R was you stayed in country of Japan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I was I lucky. To go, I had the opportunity to go some other places, but there was so much to do and see in Japan that I stayed there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I, I got to take a good one. I had a question just come in asking, um, what, what kind? Can you just mention the kind of uh, intelligence you were? Was it surveillance, reconnaissance, or paperwork? Uh, it was mostly paperwork. <laughs> a lot of paperwork intelligence. Yeah, I can understand it. Yeah, paperwork here and there. Every time you turn around, there was paperwork. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I can understand that a lot because even in the medical world, that we had. A lot of time spending on the paper. A lot of time. Those records had to be there. And I got my. I was lucky to take my R and R because of my rank. I was able to get on a, one of the um, Air Force um, embassy flights. You probably knew about those. Uh, no, I didn't know about those. Oh well, I got to fly first to the Philippines, and in the Philippines we dropped into Vietnam for a little while. Vietnam, we then went to Bangkok. Bangkok, we then went to New Delhi, and I waited for the plane to come around and take me back. I did a three-week stint um, on my R and R during my birthday period, so it was quite unique. We're, we're going to be oh, that is be- unique. Oh, wonderful opportunity. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, I'll tell you the most the most interesting thing about my time in the Air Force, which people almost can't believe this, but I had about all uh, oh, just a short period of time before I was discharged, where I was uh, I came back to the states, and uh, quite a bit of tennis at the time, and the Air Force flew me to a tennis tournament. I had the privilege <laughs> of representing father, and that's Excellent. the first time. That's that's the first time. In the four years in the Air Force that I'd never been on an Air Force plane, all, all the times before that were civilian planes. <laughs> Another question came in and asked if you did cryptographic intelligence. Uh, that. If you, if you did, good. I have no idea what it is, and I'm glad you're not going <laughs> to talk about it. We'll, we'll keep that. We'll keep that between ourselves. We're going to be coming up a little bit on um, one of our breakaways. In just a second, uh, so I'm going to let Alan Vada know that we're going to be coming back and talking with him, and then uh, the three of us will all have a, a good conversation about the the Army, the Navy, and the Air Force, and uh, looking forward to uh, finding more sponsors in our area, so anybody that's interested, just let us know. There's it, 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 very easy ways to get in touch with us, 
veteransradiohour.com, the easiest one to remember and the easiest one to get to our site so that you can uh, be all plugged in. That's veteransradiohour.com, which will also be a radio show launching on Veterans Day, November 11th, with the one and only General Dave Grange. Uh, We had a show years ago, and it's taken off, and he's coming back. So we'll be right back after this break. Roll Call will be right back after these messages. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. You're listening to Roll Call. Here's your host, Kenny DeCamp. Yeah, and after I got off the hill today, I went right to the hot tub. And uh, I enjoyed it a lot. And I'm looking forward to the next one. Uh, please get your uh, pen and paper ready, as I suggested. I'm going to give you another nice uh, hotline for you especially if you know um, someone who's just getting out of the service or someone who's been out for a while but hasn't been able to uh, get um, all the benefits that they really need, especially uh, being able to be schooled. Uh, And that's the GI Bill hotline. And you'll find that at 888-442-4551. And it's interesting with the GI Bill hotline, at the age of 63, I was told that I could go back to college again. So, uh, Gene, you might be thinking about that as well. But I ended up getting uh, my um, uh, certification uh, at two-year associates as a, a chef because I've always been cooking, and so now I'm, I guess, a real a real cook to a good degree. Yeah, I like that. Now I'm going to bring Alan Vada in. Alan, are you with us now? Yes. Hi, Alan. Good evening to you. Oh, good evening to you and Gene. Okay. If you would, start out and tell us a little bit now about, uh, like Gene did, where you were at and how you got into the service and then what you went into and where you went. 
Well, uh, <laughs> I went back to college after uh, I, uh, uh, Thanksgiving vacation, and uh, when I came back for for uh, uh, well, anyway, when I came back for for Christmas, my uh, girlfriend broke off with me, and I handled it very maturely. I uh, <laughs> sulked and walked around in circles. And left college and tried to join the uh, the French Foreign Legion, only to find out it had been disbanded. So then I scratched a little around to find out what I could do to get me far away from reality. And I found out about the nuclear submarine navy, and uh, that's how uh, I, I went. And uh, a long process to get involved in that program, but I was successful, and uh, that gets me in. Excellent. So, where did you start out? Start out at Great Lakes. Uh, as far as the military. Yes. Okay, Whitehall Street in downtown Manhattan, with about <laughs> two or three thousand other guys, uh, kind of uh, naked, walking around, being poked <laughs> and prodded, and and uh, eventually, uh, uh, and. Uh, uh, we were all uh, uh, anyway. The, those that made made the cut were, went on to the next step, and and uh, we went home basically until we were notified what to do next. And I made I made a train a train ride from New York to uh, Chicago. That uh, not actually Milwaukee, uh, yeah, Chicago, Illinois. That was like sawtooth across the United States. It was de- definitely. A, a milk run. And every time I looked out, the ground was going in a different direction, and so it took us like 2,000 miles to cover eight 800 miles, and wound up in boot camp. And uh, uh, I don't know if you want me to just rattle on until I got to the sub or, or uh, what at this point. So you were you were there in Great Lakes, uh, the naval station there, or Glenview? Yes, yes, yeah. I was. And uh, how long a period of time was your Basic is six weeks like uh, it was for me in the army. You know, uh, number nine sticks in my mind, but my my uh, it's so damn long. I honestly don't remember, but I think I think ours is nine. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then from the Great Lakes, did you while you were there in Basic or before Basic, did you sign up to uh, go into the nuclear world? Well, actually, from the recruiter. Uh, because uh, my idea was, uh, to give you an idea, in the Navy there's a guy called a, a fire controlman. And uh, I uh, thought, I thought, well, that, that was going to be a good come out of the service and be a, a, an experienced fireman and you get, a, uh, you get a good job. But basically I found out that had nothing to do with fi- fighting fires. And um, through testing and all, they, I sort of uh, was persuaded that, that uh, my leanings were towards uh, nuclear submarines and more specifically to the guided missiles that were carried on board and uh, the torpedoes on board. And, and uh, that set my, my, uh, my pathway, pipeline, and uh, uh, met up with a bunch of guys that were in that same pipeline and I there were some that didn't make it, and then there, there some of us made it all the way through, and uh, schools all over the United States and 
then finally one day I wound up in uh, in uh, Groton, uh, Connecticut, on board a brand new sub that was still flat metal, but they were they were actually rolling and curving in, into hull segments called the USS Nathan Hale SSBN 623 boat. And uh, uh, we were actually uh, christened on the day, the day after John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Oh, and what was your role on that ship? Uh, as I went there with the, my background was uh, was um, in, in the electronics and the uh, hydraulics and pneumatics uh, uh, for all the launching systems on on board for whether whether we launched it uh, vertically, which is the Polaris missile, or horizontally, which was of course torpedoes and subrock. So that that was my specialty, but. Uh, the main specialty when uh, you're selected, you wound up as being a representative of the United States government in uh, helping to uh, build a submarine and be an overseer, overseer and uh, to uh, note and uh, make sure that the sub and all contracted uh, procedures were were uh, adhered to so that we didn't we didn't uh, have a problem, or we weren't going to have problems after the submarine was commissioned and out at sea. Uh huh. And then when that one, after it was christened, you took off somewhere, or did you stay around the states for a while? Well, the process is after, after the christening, then the, the boat is actually launched. We went down the ways, as you've seen probably in old movies. Oh yeah. And uh, uh, rode this hunk of steel down, in, and first time the sub actually was to, uh, will, would have ever seen water. And then uh, after that, the, the, the uh, of course it was muted because the president had been assassinated the day before. Yeah. And uh, uh, it was uh, quite a thrill, even so, it was mixed emotion. And we tied up next to an active pier. And then we finished the, it was a long process to do finish up the, the uh, submarine to get it really seaworthy. And then we w- went off to pick up our first missiles in Charleston, South Carolina, which was quite an adventure, you know, take, taking the sub out because I conveniently left out the, por- the point uh, uh, after the sub was uh, deemed a, a recognizable submarine and and ready to to function we then had to take it out to sea and dive the darn thing and make sure we had no incidents and uh of course it was it was a really a stress stressful day because uh, admiral rickover was on board and the one leak we had on board that entire submarine dripped on him <laughs> you kidding <laughs> No, no, and actually it wound up being quite quite a stink because it, uh, not to get too involved, we had, there was a certain type of periscope that we had on board that was for utilized, uh, it was type 11, and it was utilized for uh, using a very, uh, very sophisticated uh, submerged uh, sextant, and uh, they did away with it. They came up with a better, better uh, uh, option. And they had to plug all these holes. They went through the whole hull for cables, 
and lo and behold, they uh, forgot to plug them up with uh, the appropriate uh, uh, long-standing. We actually went to test depth with a couple of what they call DC plugs. Imagine a cone that's made out of wood, and those cones from the exterior were driven into these holes, which should have been long, long ago taken out, and again, the appropriate plugs in there. And uh, uh, luckily, uh, we submerged plus 2,000 feet, and here a couple of chunks of wood saved the submarine from uh, uh, some very dire straits. And it poured all over Admiral Rookover. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, so uh, are these uh, some of the stories that are also in your book, or are these are special uh, little bit of knowledge? That one, that particular one is is actually in in the uh, uh, in the book. Excellent. And believe me, when I t- when I tell you uh, the book could be. Uh, uh, multi-volume because I really I bounced around and there were tens of thousands of stories that I, I could have included and uh, some a lot of them did not make the cut but uh, uh, there there's a lot of stories still floating around in my head and I, I may uh, write that sequel and, and, and by the way the book is real stories from a nuclear submariner but there's a secondary portion of that title, and it's a, once upon a time, this ain't no bullshit. And I hope I didn't offend anybody. <laughs> oh, no, FCC, or I don't know, Mark will have to find out what our insurance is going to say about it now. Or something. <laughs> oh, jeez, oh, I forgot we were we were that involved. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll, talking I'll about cut out the rest of the stories. <laughs> yeah, talking about uh, being that involved, um, the uh, – Radio uh, Veterans Broadcast Network, has, with its radio and its blog and its Internet connections, uh, Mark tells me that we're running on about seven different platforms uh, now, which also includes Spotify and Amazon. I believe iHeartRadio is in on there. And, um, and of course, uh, we're coming right now from the blogtalkradio.com. And uh, these are ways to listen to our show uh, every week, I'm on Sunday nights. On Mondays, we have uh, Patrick Scrogan. He was a helicopter pilot, went through a bad crash, and uh, got pretty well broken up. And so he's got a wonderful show called Wounded But Not Broken. Uh, good motivational energies for what people have to do after they come back and how you go through what you do. And when we come back after this next break, uh, we'll be talking to Gene and Alan uh, about after they got out of the Army, uh, well, we know Gene went a little bit into the legal world, but um, I want to ask them about if there was a VSO that helped them then. Are they involved with any VSOs now? And then I want to know uh, what they're, they're continuing to do. Uh, I know the book alone is helping veterans who, who get the book from Alan. Uh, just the little bits that I've uh, plugged in on there, it's very unique. So in just uh, a few, we'll be uh, back after this break. Roll Call will be right back after these messages. Attention, looking for semi-drivers nationwide. GTS Transportation of Burr Ridge, Illinois, is looking to hire a partner with experienced CDL holders in every state. If you are going to drive, why not drive for the best? 
Whether you are driving solo, as a team, or as an owner-operator, GTS is looking to add you to their rapidly growing company. Become part of one of the most respected, driver-friendly, and successful transportation companies in America, where drivers are treated as royalty. Contact us at gtscarrier.com. Again, gtscarrier.com. Or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. We would love to help you, which in turn helps everyone. GTS is an equal opportunity employer. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. You're listening to Roll Call. Here's your host, Kenny DeCamp. Yep, we are just rolling along, and I'm uh, happy to say I'm here with uh, an Air Force veteran, Gene Jones, and a Navy nuclear submariner vet- veteran, Alan Bada. And I just want to ask both of you uh, for a quick yes or no answer. When you got out, was there a VSO that you got involved with to help you? Gene? No. 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 Okay. No. All right. And do you know what a VSO is now? Oh, yeah. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. And, Alan, are you involved with any VSOs? No. Well, that is... Uh, I'm a long-standing member of the retired submarine vets and 50-year uh, Holland Club member. So, yeah. Okay, good. And, and, well, we know that for people that are just learning VSOs, as I did recently, they are actually just stand for Veteran Service Organizations. And then I'm trying to figure out, okay, what organization is there that could be a service to me? And then I find out it's the American Legion, the VFW, the Disabled American Veterans, the Paralyzed Veterans, AMVETS, uh, Vietnam Veterans, Iraq. I mean, it goes on. They say there's about 100 different recognized VSOs. So let's talk for a few minutes. I'll start with Gene. If you could tell me, how did your transition work to get you into uh, school, and I would imagine uh, when you went back to college, uh, it was with the GI Bill's assistance. It was with the GI Bill, and that was, of course, uh, very helpful because basically uh, my college was paid for uh, thanks to uh, good old Uncle Sam, who uh, you know, helped me through college in the Air Force, and then uh, after I graduated, and I had enough uh, credits. Uh, I was really lucky that uh, I graduated from undergraduate school and then had had uh, hours left over, so I, I almost made it through uh, law school before uh, my benefits uh, ran out. So it was really a terrific uh, opportunity for me, which uh, I was fortunate to be able to take advantage of. Excellent. And, and Alan, when you got out, did you transition right back to school, or where did you go? Well, uh, I, I want to throw in a little interesting thing. I, I, 
uh, forget exactly what year it was, but I decided that uh, I wanted to separate myself from the service, and I got out and I went to became a staff engineer at Vitro Laboratories in Silver Spring, Maryland, and they had uh, a lot of government contracts, but specifically about the launch systems uh, on board nuclear submarines. And uh, basically, I was fat, dumb, and happy there. But one day, uh, all of a sudden, I, I get a phone call, and it's the Navy uh, uh, actually trying to lure me back in. <laughs> and it seems that at that juncture, the service, especially the submarine service, they were growing, but they couldn't get uh, – um, this is a point of bragging. They couldn't get the quality uh, pers- personnel that they were – they needed to man all the new subs that were being built, and uh, so they were digging. They were digging into uh, trying to look, get uh, some some uh, experienced guys that left the service uh, back, and uh, they uh, they worked very hard and diligent, and and after uh, some uh, great offers, I uh, was I became uh, prior to. The, Prior to leaving the service, I became a, a naval uh, instructor. So mm-hmm. they uh, they uh, wanted me to come back and continue in that vein. And uh, they were going to there were other gratuities, and I, I didn't want to bore you with all of them. But uh, it was enough to where where I thought I was fat, dumb, and happy. You know, I, I came back and and I was glad I did. And uh, to uh, jump ahead, when I when I retired. I did not jump into anything uh, aligned with uh, with VSOs at all, other than being a member of uh, of the uh, retired uh, veterans organizations uh, for submarines, uh, and uh, I really went uh, uh, almost 180 degrees. I went wound up in uh, buying and renovating old houses and flipping houses. Uh, then I opened up a pawn shop, and uh, it goes on and on. I'll, sh- I'll shut up. <laughs> is that in the book, too? <laughs> uh, you know, yes, it is. But my editor is sitting here <laughs> okay. reminding me. Yeah, <laughs> keep, keep it limited so we go buy this book. Uh, <laughs> and, Gene, let's get into now um, what you're doing with veterans. Tell us a little well, bit about uh, – this great organization Kenny, that I even belong to. Uh, Kenny, I'm so fortunate because I work with a terrific uh, group of people that uh, we uh, operate uh, two veterans outfits right now, Florida Veterans for Common Sense and Florida Veterans for Common Sense Fund. And we take on a lot of projects. And if I, I'll take a couple of minutes here and just tell you about a few of them. Uh, the main thing that we're doing right now with Florida Veterans for Common Sense Fund is we recognized several years ago that climate change was a national security threat. And one way to combat that uh, from some research that we did was to plant trees. And one way to plant trees most effectively so that they sequester more carbon, which is the primary thing that trees can do to uh, combat climate change by taking the carbon out of the air and sequestering that carbon in the wood of the tree and the roots, but also in the soil, uh, which uh, that's where the scientists tell me a lot of that uh, carbon 
when the trees uh, transpire and take in the carbon, a lot of it ends up in the soil. So it, we planted a microforest here in Sarasota in cooperation with uh, several other groups, uh, Sarasota County, which uh, allowed us to use the land to plant the microforest, uh, the Rotary Club of Sarasota Bay, and uh, start a solutions to end red tide. And uh, we just had the first anniversary of that microforest uh, just yesterday. We had a nice celebration, uh, which we really enjoyed. And uh, we're planting, our goal is to keep planting these microforests and to make them an example so that people can see how they work and how uh, beneficial they are to our communities. And uh, there's another one being planted here in Sarasota, uh, November 6th. And that will be planted at uh, Stony Brook. So if someone wants to uh, volunteer, uh, they can look on our website and uh, check that out and uh, volunteer to help uh, plant some trees, which is a wonderful thing to do. Uh, with our group, we also uh, help veterans directly. We're not a, a certified social work outfit, that type of thing, but we nevertheless, we can't leave our veterans stranded. And so when a veteran comes to us, sometimes with the other social service agencies in town, they can't move quite as rapidly as we can because they say they have uh, obligations for uh, paperwork with uh, grants or with the government, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. We can sometimes move a lot faster than the social service agencies uh, to help these veterans. And that's one thing that our group does very uh, gratifying, and it also it's so good for some of the veterans. Just to give you one example, last year uh, we helped a veteran at the stand down in Sarasota, which we started uh, probably seven or eight years ago, and, and we've been a sponsor of that stand down ever since. And at that stand down, uh, we met a veteran who was down and out, uh, had some substance abuse problems, but we started working with him helping him out, helping him find a place to live. And now he's turned himself around. He's got a, a real good job. Uh, he's supporting himself. He's in housing. And better yet, the funds that we advanced to him, with no idea that they would ever be paid back, he has paid back that money. So wow, can help nice. more. And, I mean, isn't that a wonderful story? I mean, it just doesn't get much better than that. So those are those are the time type of things we do. And Kenny, we have, we're so active. We do so many things. If I could take about two minutes and tell the, your audience about some of the things that are coming up, and maybe they can participate with us. Exactly. Uh, on November fifth, uh, we're participating in a Veterans Day breakfast, and it's a Kiwanis uh, benefit, which will benefit this year Operation Eco Vets, which is a farm program, an urban farm program for veterans, which our organization started about uh, six or seven years ago, and we transitioned that to a uh, separate 501c3. We'll be participating at the Stand Down in Manatee County on November 6th, and uh, these stand downs are important because uh, homeless veterans can be in touch with the social service agencies that can help them uh, get off the streets. Uh, we do a lot of things that are just fun, too. On November 11th, Veterans Day, we'll, we'll be participating in the Sarasota Veterans Day Parade, 
And after that, we'll have a picnic for our group, which is always a lot of fun. Uh, our meeting's coming up November 8th, and we're having an expert on climate change uh, speak to our group, uh, Dr. Uh, Terry Root. And uh, she is uh, actually is a Nobel Prize winner, so it's top quality uh, information that we'll be uh, receiving at that meeting. And uh, I mentioned the plant of, planting the microforest on November 6th. But then on February 5th, mark this down, Kenny. This is really important. Every year uh, we celebrate uh, the birthday of Tom Paine. And most people will know that Tom Paine is one of our founding fathers of the United States. Uh, sometimes uh, people say he's the forgotten founding father, but he was the individual that wrote Common Sense, which gave us the idea for uh, Constitution, and he was the one with his uh, forward thinking uh, that gave us the idea that we could be an independent country and not tied to uh, Great Britain. And uh, so he gave us uh, that idea and a lot of other things. And uh, he was a veteran. And uh, George Washington actually called on uh, Thomas Paine to uh, raise the morale of the troops on the retreat from uh, New York uh, down to uh, New Jersey. And Tom Paine uh, wrote those famous words that start out the crisis papers, these are the times to try men's souls. So that has to be celebrated as veterans. We have to celebrate the uh, birthday of Thomas Paine. We have a good uh, party every year. It's a fundraiser for the projects that we do, like the microforest. That's the fund uh, that it went into last year to benefit our microforest projects, and that'll be the same again this year. And uh, so that party is always something to look forward to. And every year uh, we make an award, what we call the Thomas Paine Award, to somebody who's made a special uh, contribution to our community or to the nation. And uh, so this this year we have uh, some uh, terrific uh uh, Tom Payne Award winner lined up. I'm not going to tell you who that was, but the quality of the Tom Payne Award winners are really high. And last year, as an example, uh, our uh, Tom Payne Award uh, went to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vidman. So, oh, that man, uh, yes. Great, so, great person. Let me break away for a little bit, and we'll come right back. But I got a few questions for you as well on this stand-down, especially. Uh Thanks. Okay. I'm here with Gene Jones and Alan Vada. I'll be right back after this break. Roll call. We'll be right back after these messages. Then. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Look at family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you're not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at GTS. 
www.thecarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again, 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com. You're listening to Roll Call. All right, I believe we're back now. Gene, I got a quick question before I go to Alan. I'd like to ask you... uh, wouldn't a macro forest be better than a micro forest? Uh, yes, a micro forest would be great. In fact, uh, and some of the experts, one of the interest, one of the reasons we got interested in planting trees was because some of the experts has said that if we could uh, plant a trillion trees around the world, a trillion trees net, that that would perhaps. Uh, neutralize the carbon that we're putting into the atmosphere and we can hold our own and not have to worry about sea level rise and increased uh, intensity on hurricanes and all those kind of problems that climate change may be causing. Uh, but of course, a trillion trees, that's out of the question. But then we happened to see some research that was done by a Japanese botanist, Akiri Mikiwaki, and uh, Miyawaki determined that if you planted trees closer together uh, and also provided uh, a good carbon base for those trees to get started, they could sequester uh, carbon at a much faster rate and a greater quantity than if you just planted trees like they would be typically found in the average forest. And so we're trying it here in Florida, and I'm proud to say, as far as we've been able to find out, we're the first organization to try this technique in Florida. But these these microforests are very efficient, and I encourage people to go to our Florida Veterans for Common Sense Fund uh, website, and you can see pictures of uh, this microforest and read about them a little bit. And... Uh, you know, if we can expand these microforests and have them being planted all around the country and make them successful, nobody ever tried it in, in Florida, and so we've had some challenges. There's no question about that. But uh, if we can make them successful, we're going to have a dramatic impact because Florida, as you know, living here, uh, we're at high risk from uh, what can happen with uh, climate change, and that risk is avoidable if we take action and do something about it. And that's why uh, those of us with Florida Veterans for Common Sense, we're, we like to work hard and we're active and get things done. And uh, it's just Good like uh, we're doing with help, helping these vets. Uh, you know, sometimes with social service agencies, they just can't move fast enough. And when somebody has an emergency and they need to be uh, pre- need housing for a night, uh, we can help them. We don't have to file uh, two inches of paperwork to get that done. And, What's uh, your goal? How many trees so do you see that you we, want with this to first micro, This first uh, micro forest that we planted, it has uh, 250 trees plus, uh, and uh, so it's about 
a third of an acre, something in that size. And the next one that we're planting at Stony Brook, uh, November the 6th, will be a little bit smaller than that. But the, but the tree density is going to be greater. And so we could try little experiments like that as, as we develop these uh, microforests. Um, there's going to be one down in Venice, and uh, we're going to do the plan is to do two of them a little bit different the way the the carbon is put down to get the tree started, which is basically cardboard and uh, wood chips. And so we're going to test whether uh, the forest does better with the cardboard or without the cardboard, and perhaps with the wood chips, without the wood chips. So we have some PhD uh, scientists. We're really fortunate in Sarasota. We have really uh, some experts in this area, and they're helping us with that and collecting the data. Because it, to do something like this, we we believe it works, and we've seen the research where they've been planted other places, but we don't really know that it'll work in Florida until we collect the data and, and get that analyzed. So that's what we're trying to do. Do you participate in the, uh, I think it's called a carbon green footprint, and they have an offset for that, so. That's called carbon banking, and we're we're working to make that a, an official uh, carbon bank. Uh, we don't want to get into the situation where we're actually trading on a formal carbon market. Uh, that's probably beyond our scope at this point, uh, but we do do it informally because we know with our little microforest that we planted at the celery fields in Sarasota, it's going to sequester uh, over 30 or 40 years over a million and a half pounds of carbon. So, yes, wow. people can set off their carbon use by making a donation to our group and then we can use that to plant more microforest. And that's the idea. Can you tell the listeners where they would go to uh, make that donation? Yes. Yes, they can go right to Florida Veterans for Common Sense Fund, and uh, there's a donate button there, and there's several choices that you can make. The one that says SURF would be the one that goes to the uh, microforest, and that stands for uh, Sarasota Urban Reforestation. And we and the reason that we named it that uh, acronym is because uh, we partnered with uh, several other groups uh, to do this first uh, microforest, and uh, so that's where that donation would be marked. You could also make donations to help uh, Afghan refugees or just help veterans in general. So you can designate where you want your funds to go if you donate to uh, Florida Veterans for Common Sense Fund which is a 501c3, so it's fully qualified for tax deduction if you otherwise qualify. Thank you, sir. I want to hit Alan up for a question. Alan, what is it called a crash dive? Is it a belly flop of a submarine? Are you familiar with that? Uh, uh, well, uh, crash dive is is what uh, you have a uh, all of a sudden there you have some uh, activity on the surface. Somebody's coming for towards the sub, and because you're very vulnerable, you go into crash dive mode. You you uh, literally uh, drain uh, vent out all your ballast tanks and and pump out as much water as you possibly can at the same time from other tanks to get you negatively buoyant. So uh, and of 
and of course you have uh, you have a uh, positive uh, uh, headway going. You, you go down on all your all your uh, plane surfaces, and that's your your crash dive. Have you ever been in one? Uh, quite a few, yes, <laughs> quite a few. Are, are they fun? <laughs> well, one didn't work too well. We wound up uh, bumping into a uh, a Russian submarine, and I do believe it's long enough. It's been declassified, and back in the mid '60s, if somebody remembered. Uh, uh, the New York Times had uh, a great spread on a limping nuclear, uh, a Russian nuclear submarine being towed from uh, somewhere off Spain uh, back to uh, their home port in uh, in Russia, and they monitored it every every day uh, until it was uh, back in their harbor. So again, they. We were all right. We 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 lost a couple of ballast tanks and the oxygen bank and and some high pressure air, but we we managed to uh, uh, finish out our patrol. We didn't have to come in because of uh, uh, degradation to uh, our our uh, deterrent patrol status. But it was crash dive was was definitely part of that incident. Now they used to do give incentive rides to celebrities, and they quit doing the crash dive as a part of that about what seven years ago when I can't remember who it was they were doing they ran into a ship when they were coming up. I sort of remember it I have the specifics I do not uh, the, truthfully after after I left the service, there were a lot of things i it was cursory i I would be interested but uh I never locked it in. Uh, I have to admit, my memories that are that are uh, uh, that hold true are things that I personally experienced, but uh, I don't remember that that particular incident well. The one last question is: What is the most amazing memory you had on a submarine that you can talk about? Well, the amazing one. I hate to I hate to say it. It was, uh, uh, and I'm choking up because I lost a very good friend. On board a submarine, <clears throat> we had a an oxygen generator. Uh, picture bringing in seawater, distilling it, and having pure water. Then this machine would uh, miraculously it uh, break the molecules down and pump the hydrogen overboard, and we'd retain and store the oxygen. And in this case, a uh, the hydrogen became a leak internal to the machine. And a very good friend of mine went to um, troubleshoot the alarm, telling him that he had a hydrogen leak somewhere. And when he got to the machine, the machine blew up, and uh, an explosion plate uh, smacked him upside the face and flipped him over and hit, hit the back of his head, landed on a uh, uh, relief valve, a high-pressure relief valve, and uh, he succumbed to the injuries and bled out. Uh, in the machinery one uh, area, all the way through the missile compartment until we got his uh, got his his body in a, uh, a surgical area that uh, was built in or could be built into the Mestex and tried everything and and uh, unfortunately Jimmy Augusta Snyder was his name and we we had uh, dipped. 
we had a difficult we had we had finished the patrol and we had uh before that patrol was the first time we had this package opened it up and it was uh burial bags and we said what the hell are these about and lo and behold we brought them on board and we wound up using one and uh and, and uh, anyway I'm, I, I i'm choking up i'm sorry yes sir well i I thank you for that story and my deepest condolences for your friend. Um, I do know that a lot of people who I've talked to about subs always say Das Boat is the most realistic movie about submarines, not Hunt for Red October, not for any of the other ones. But you agree with that, Das Boat? Das Boat, uh, I, I love the book. I love the movie. I uh, uh, the, the, the beauty of that was you've... We've all been indoctrinated into the American side of the story, and if you rewatch it, think about from the German, from the German uh, submariner, and uh, that's how I, 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 uh, I, what I did when when I got involved in my first exposure to the book and then the movie, uh, and it was, and it, it is accurate. It is very good, but as far as uh, for the for the stateside crowd. Red October. You watch Red October, and I sat on the edge of my seat because it was my life. It was everything that they went through except for, of course, the mayhem. It uh, uh, was exactly the way we operated and the, the noise, the sounds, and the words. It was all accurate. Well, Ellen and Gene, this is the conclusion of our show. Thank you very much for being on our show. This is Mark Eli standing in for Kenny DeCamp. He's listening. I can actually hear him, but he can't hear that we hear him. So thank you for listening to our show. We'll be back next week. This is Roll Call, and we're out. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening. Join us every Sunday at 5 p.m. Central. On the Veterans Broadcast Network, this is Roll Call. My father was the, the best truck driver I've ever known in my life. Like a family tradition. I'm a truck driver myself. I drove around the state with my cat. To be the truck driver, you not just only see where you go, you see the world in the larger perspective. This is a really good time to be in the trucking industry. The dispatchers get good loads for them. The equipment is very new and then it's very reliable. At GTS Transportation, we make dreams come true by employing truck drivers, dispatchers, mechanics, and many other occupations. Consider joining our rapidly expanding team where we put quality, human dignity, and respect back into the workforce. Contact us by visiting our website at gtscarrier.com or call us at 847-754-4667. That number again. 847-754-4667. Dallas Corporation and Dallas Logistics, a proud supporter of the Veterans Radio Broadcast for over 15 years. High-quality printing services and warehouse distribution have been our hallmark since 1985, serving Fortune 100 companies for over 35 years. Check us out at www.dallascorp.com.